0: For the Word of God, amen? amen? I was thinking about what a privilege it is that we are able to hear so much um, investment, so much preaching of God's Word. And I think we often take it for granted because we have such a free uh, expression of, of that in this country, and the Scripture says that there is going to be a time where There's going to be a famine, but the famine's not going to be of food. The famine's not going to be of produce. But the famine's going to be of the hearing of the Word of God. I don't want to be a part of that group. pastor was talking about that today. I don't want to be a part of that group. I want to be a part of the group that says, Lord, whatever you want to speak to my life, speak it. If you got any places that you don't want, like any scriptures that you don't want the church to preach on, Write them down, and I'll get a box, and we'll make sure we burn it, okay? Put them all in there. Because we're going to take the whole Word of God, and whatever it says, it's going to apply to my life. We can't have precious pigs that we can't touch. We have to say, Lord, whatever you want to do in me, whatever you want to speak to me, it is so valid to my life. How many agree with that? I receive the Word of God. Uh, Something that I I started doing a long time ago um, when I first... um, very early, I didn't do this when I was young, uh, and I don't think I probably did it when I first really committed my life to the Lord, but something that I realized is that I come in with my own thoughts and my own ideas and worries and things I got to take care of this week, and I started coming in every Sunday, every, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night, and just as I would walk through the doors, even if I didn't have time to kneel down always, but I would just say, Lord, speak to me what you want me to hear tonight, anybody afraid to do that? Speak to me what you want me to hear tonight. Whatever you want to do in me, I want you to do it. And, and I think that that's the, that's the condition in which God wants us to be. Amen. So tonight I'm going to talk to you, continue to talk to you out of the book of, um, the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And I'm talking about the phases of faith. Um, and I wanted to go back to back here because, uh, I really should probably do three in a row just because, uh, because it's important that we kind of keep the thought, but I'm not going to. So everybody said, oh, man, we got a break from Pastor Rodney for a week. Um, but I think it's really important to understand these, these phases that, that are a part of faith. Again, I don't want to define um, faith in one sentence. I don't want to define faith in a few words. I want to understand what are the components of faith. Because we all think we're of the faith. I went through all that, and I'm just recovering a little bit of ground, if you weren't here last time. Everybody thinks they have faith, and everybody thinks their faith is right. Um, But there's phases that help us to understand that our faith is correct, and that it's in the right thing. And if those phases are not present in our life, then we probably are not walking in faith. I think it's pretty clear. and we, We could really detail these, but I'm really just focusing on this book of Hebrews the 11th chapter, I'm not going to all the other areas that talk about faith as much. I just want to see some examples of what faith looks like in some different people. I believe that's what Hebrews 11 is about. When you read this in the future, understand that it's not that you're going to experience these exact things. You may not experience any one of these things, but it's that this is the type of faith. It's the expression of faith. And so that's what I want to talk about again tonight. Last week I talked about the blindness of faith. And tonight I want to talk about the sacrifice of faith. I just want to read Hebrews 11.1 to give us that that scripture that's so common when we hear about faith. And just give us that that, uh, textual foothold to start from. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Lord, we ask you, we reverence your word. God, we need your word. We want to hear from you tonight and we want to receive from you, Jesus. We don't want to to do this on our own. We're not here to do our own thing. We're not here to to thank our own thoughts. Lord, we're ready to receive. That's why we're here. And so we pray that you would speak to us. God, we want you to speak to us. And Lord, help us to grow by your word, Jesus. And we give you all the glory and everybody say amen. Amen. If you agree, if you don't agree, you don't have to say amen. So we read down to the 16th verse last time that I spoke, um, talking about uh, the blindness of faith. And I want to be clear about something. Trying to break this up, like I said, it'd be sure, sure be better or easier if it was in some kind of a book that I was writing and you could just continue to read. But I, wanna, I wanted to bring this out, touching blindness and faith for a moment again. Because blindness of faith is not making up your mind that you're going to do something and then expecting God to make it work out. That's not the kind of blindness that I'm speaking of. I don't see that as being scriptural. I see that as being human. <laughs> I, I think that that's common for us. That, and oftentimes we're walking in, um, in a lack of vision. Anybody would ever agree with that? That we really want to please God, but we don't always know exactly what He wants for us. I find myself in that condition. I, have, I say to the Lord so many times, Lord, if you'll just show me, I'll do it. Anybody ever get there? If you'll just show me, I'll do it. I, I don't, my problem is not that I don't want to do what you want me to do. My problem is that I don't know what you want me to do. And my wire here is brand new and it's not staying in my clip. So it's going to tug on my ear, so you'll have to forgive me. So my problem is not, not, it's not that I don't want to, it's that I can't always see. And I'm struggling with that. I'm always looking for, for the Lord to help me to understand what his will for my life is. And I want to please him. But I want to be clear that, that you know, oftentimes we can, we can fleece God. And we see this example with Gideon. And, and I, I think that there are times where that is appropriate. I think that there are times where, where we, can, you know, we can say, Lord, I, I'm not clear about how you want to do this in my life, but... I need some direction. And sometimes the Lord gives us a pretty clear answer. And then I think there's other times where we can make declarations like, Lord, um, I want to be in faith. And so if the sun comes up tomorrow, I'll know that's what you want me to do. I think that's pretty common for us to kind of walk in that kind of faith. And I don't think that's a lot of faith, but that's kind of where we can end up. So we can end up in both of those situations. And I, and I want to be clear because Dad said it this morning, I had no clue what he was going to preach, and I had it written down in my notes, the exact words. The Abrahamic Covenant. We do not live in the Abrahamic Covenant. Anybody know what that means? That's a big word, you kids. It means that we don't walk with God like Abraham walked with God. Why? Say, Pastor Rodney, what are you talking about? I think that we should walk with God in that way, but we don't walk with God in that way. What was the situation with Abraham, what what God was doing with Abraham was an independent relationship because God calls Abraham literally out of making idols. Anybody ever thought about how weird that is? So we think that God speaks to us when everything's perfect in our life and when everything's going the right direction. And God speaks to Abraham when he's literally building idols. I think God's word to us is often A challenge for change. It's not generally a you're perfect where you're at. Everybody say a man who's not perfect where you're at. So it's interesting to me that God speaks to Abraham. He calls him in the middle of idolatry and he calls him out to go out of that mess. And I could go into all the details maybe of why God may have spoke to Abraham in that way, but I don't know all of the reasoning. But that was an independent relationship because there was literally nobody else that God was speaking to at that time. He's calling Abraham because he's going to be the father of the faithful and there aren't any faithful. Everybody following me? So Abraham did have an independent type of relationship with God. But we will see even again tonight as we look at Abraham, that's why I'm starting there. As we look at Abraham, we will see again that Abraham did not have, um, did not receive the promise the scripture says. In fact, at the very last uh, verse of this chapter, it speaks of, and I don't want to get ahead because i got to get there next time. But I want to make mention that it speaks that all of these people did this in the faith. They died in the faith. They worked in the faith. They sacrificed in the faith. And yet, they did not receive the promise. Because it wasn't about that. It was about this. Do you understand the scripture again says that the angels look into our day desiring, the prophets looked forward desiring to be in our day. Why? Because God's plan all along was the church. That's where the church should say amen. God's plan all along. God's plan all along was not independent, like I said last week, lone wolf relationship. Relationship. God's plan all along was that we would become his church. The scripture says he's returning for his church. A glorious church. It's a church without spot and without wrinkle. That's that's what he planned. So God uses Abraham to start what is going to happen in us. Our job is not to go backward. Our job is not to try to find that. I I remember, I've heard so many different times about people saying that that they're preparing, and Dad's talked about this at times, that in Israel right now, they're preparing the perfect red heifer so that that ultimate perfect sacrifice could be made before the Lord, that ultimate sacrifice. God's not going back to temple worship God's not rebuilding the temple. He's not reestablishing the sacrifices. That's not what God's doing. God did all of that to bring us to right here. God did all of that to establish His church. So if we don't believe in the church, we're really believing something wrong about God. And so I, I want to I be clear that Abraham's faith is not the example of independent relationship. That's not what you want to see. Like I said, I don't want to look at, at and say, well, this is how Abraham did it, so this is how I'm going to do it. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to start making idols so God can talk to me. Does that make any sense? No, that's, that's not it. Well, I'm going to be Samson. He's mentioned in the chapter. I'm going to go out and I'm going to lay my head down in the lap of strange women. No, that's not it. The the idea is not that we emulate the events of their life. The idea is that we understand the phases of their faith. Understand what it meant. So the blindness that I'm talking about is that answer to respond to God when I don't see the outcome. To pursue after God when I don't understand exactly what he's saying. That's really what faith is about. It's really what God wants to establish in us. So their faith, all of these people that are talked about in, in, in this Hebrews 11 and all throughout the Old Testament, their faith is there and it is there to establish the lives of their families in what would be the body of Christ. They, they're there to build the foundation of, Of what we are going to stand on. Everybody understand what I'm saying? But somebody has to be the first stone. It's obviously Jesus is the cornerstone, but the one laid on him is Abraham, because he's called the father of the faithful. Somebody's got to be the first stone, but as that foundation is built, we don't then separate ourselves out and say, well, now I'm no longer. We know some people who years and years ago used to be involved with uh, the church that my grandpa pastored years and years ago, and they moved uh, away, and, I, and they have this very independent and isolated relationship in which they don't believe in church. In fact, I know this several different ways. I know several different people who have, who have done this exact thing. They don't, they don't believe in church anymore. They, the church, they find faults everywhere they go, and so they've stopped attending church altogether because, uh, you know, somebody's a hypocrite, or I don't like what they're preaching. Doctrinally, that doesn't line up with me. And Pretty soon they find themselves not attending church anywhere. Well, that's not ever what God wants. If you ever find yourself in a place where, uh, where you got the perfect church, you're probably wrong. And certainly we're not the perfect church. But you also, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you know, you're not able to attend this church, which I'm thankful for this body, but you're not going to find perfect. It's important, though, that you attach it's important that you understand that the church is the work of God. And, and Jesus even said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But th- what that tells me is they're trying. Yeah. There is always an attack to try to get us isolated and separated. And I've watched as people have separated themselves from fellowship. And where you end up with that is you end up with a Mormon church. You end up with the Jehovah's Witnesses. You end up with the Scientology groups, all these groups have, have took the word of God, isolated over, and said, you know what, we're, we're going to kind of do our own thing. That's where it started from. So it's really, really vital for our lives that we understand that God is building his church. I hate people fidgeting with stuff, but this thing is getting tugged off my ear. So we can't claim the faith of the Old Testament men and women that we see in Hebrews 11 and bypass the design of the New Testament faith that God established in the book of Acts and that God reveals all throughout his his scripture. We don't have that opportunity. If we do that, then we miss it. And this is what the Lord put in my heart, that the blindness of their faith was to walk into a relationship of faith in God where others had never walked before. Everybody agree with that statement? The blindness of our faith is to put down our desires and to keep the faith that was once delivered to the saints. See the difference? The one, they're walking where nobody has ever trod. And you know what our job as the church is to do today? 2,000 years after the early church and 4,000 years after Abraham was walking around, our job is to try to rewalk on the same ground they walked on. To try to keep the faith that was established in the book of Acts. That's our job. Because it's really hard. Because the gates of hell are trying to prevail against the church. Satan is not happy when the church is strong. And what we've seen is an all-out attack in the last year on the, the, the church in America. As we have seen, strip clubs remain open and casinos remain open, but we've watched now as churches have been closed everywhere. And what, what's happened with people, and you hear this all across the, the country, we haven't seen it too bad in this place, but a little bit, but we've seen that all these people who started laying out of church because they couldn't go, are not returning now. Yeah. Brother Nathan was just sharing with me. He has a friend. Who um, is, a, is a part of a large church. A large movement. A, a big, big uh, assembly. And... Um, When the first thing started with COVID, they went, you know, all online, which we don't do very well because we're not very techie around here. They went all online and and they said, hey, this is working great. We absolutely love what's happening. He called Nathan or talked to Nathan and said, we're not changing this. We're going to keep doing this. This is working awesome. They opened up the churches again a few months ago and he called Nathan. He said, I I repent. I'm sorry. The uh, church attendance is down 80%. Because what we did was we told people, you don't need church. You don't need that. You can have this independent sort of relationship in which you don't, you don't really need that. You can just kind of sit at home in your PJs, drink your coffee, and uh, you know, do God on your own. So detrimental to our spirit. Who's going to speak into your life if that's the case? Who's going who's to minister to you if that's the case? So, so it's so vital for us. If their blindness was walking to establish faith that had never been seen, our blindness is to walk and to, and to put down our own desires so that we might keep the faith that was once delivered to us. So important for our lives to keep the faith. So let's look at these, at these verses here. 17, and I, I want to go down through them as I did before and make a little bit of comment um, just, just to see... Not the blindness now, but the sacrifice. Now, this is the second time we're going to see Abraham mentioned in this chapter. And it's, it's interesting because there's a division. And I think it's because he, he is really trying to show that there is a different type of faith being seen here. The first faith we saw was that Abraham was walking and trusting God blindly because he didn't even know where he was going. The second type of faith that we're going to see out of Abraham is this faith of sacrifice. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding, that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense or in type. We saw the blindness of Abraham, but now we turn to see this sacrifice. He gave up what was most precious to him. In fact, this was what he believed to be the promise. Everybody understand? This is what God had promised him. But we know that really what God said, and we see this in, in the Pauline epistles, he said it really wasn't about the seeds, it was about the seed, and that seed was Christ. What Abraham sees is Isaac is his seed. Isaac is his promise. And I love this song, and Dad, Dad had me listen to it a long time a few months ago, C.T. Townsend does Uh, When I lay my Isaac down. Anybody ever heard that one? You need to go home and listen to it. That's good. When I lay my Isaac down. Because God's test of Abraham was, are you willing to sacrifice for me what you believe that I have given you? That's what he's asking him, right? I've given you this. Now I want you to come lay it down. And what Abraham did is mind-boggling. He said, listen... I'm going to follow God in this way because I know that even if he dies, God can raise him up from the dead. Why would Abraham even believe that? That hasn't happened. That's not something to believe. He doesn't have type to walk in. He doesn't have Lazarus to say, hey, Lazarus raised from the dead and Jesus raised from the dead. So God can certainly raise Isaac from the dead. No, he doesn't have that. But his faith is such that he says, listen, God gave me this anyway. I had, there was no way I could make this happen. And so when I lay it down, certainly if I give it back to God, God's able to give it back to me if I need it again. This is the kind of sacrifice that you must have in order to walk in faith. God's going to challenge us. God's going to call us. He's going to speak to us about things in our life. I have been so blessed over this first month of this year. We're just at the very end of January. And I have been so blessed in my life as I have been examining and trying to lose some things because I understand that I want to gain some things in the Lord. I want to grow in Christ. Next year, I don't want to be in the exact same spot. I'm I'm thankful for where I'm at. But I don't want to be in the exact same spot one year from now. I want to have gained something in my faith. I want to have grown in Christ somehow. So I'm examining and I'm saying, Lord, I I want to lose where you want me to lose. I'm willing to give up where you want me to give up. It doesn't matter if I have a right to it. It doesn't matter. I said this last week about the whole gun thing. It's my right. It's my Second Amendment right. Well, my kingdom rights are way above my Second Amendment rights. My kingdom rights are way above my right to freedom of speech. The church preached the gospel when there was no freedom of speech. The church preached the gospel when they were taking them out for preaching the gospel and putting them in coliseums to be shredded by lions. The church preached the gospel in the Inquisition when they were sawing them asunder and stretching them until they burst. My kingdom obligations supersede my American rights. And I need to be in a position where I am ready to receive what God wants to place in my life. I'm not worried about earthly gain. I'm not worried about that right now. I mean, yeah, we got we to gotta eat. Yes, I, I have to have somewhere to stay, I hope. But really, I don't have to have somewhere to stay. My number one obligation is to know that I am pursuing the Lord with my heart that I've placed myself in such a way that I am willing to lay down. So this is the first phase of the first phase of of sacrifice, the phase of sacrifice. Well, there's a phase of that. There's a sub-phase. I know, that's scary. There's a sub-phase involved here. The first part of sacrifice is giving. If you're not a giver, you can't sacrifice. We hear the term giving sacrificially. Anybody ever heard that term? This is what the woman who dad talked about this morning with the mite. She gave it and Jesus stopped the offering, said she's given more. Why? Because she gave from her need. She gave all that she had. Sacrifice always involves giving. Giving of myself, giving of my time, giving of my, my resources, my money. What is dear to me? If you have a problem giving, it's because it's too dear to you. Whether it's your time or your money or whatever else it may be, it's because it's too dear to you. And if you want to be a, a, uh, a person of faith, then sacrifice is part of that and giving is a part of sacrifice. Something I ran into some time ago and I'll never forget this little revelation God gave me. God does not love a cheerful saver. well, that's really self-serving, Pastor Rodney. You probably don't have a very very big savings. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But I don't believe you can save your way into the blessing of God. But I do believe you can give your way into God's favor. And I'm not talking about financially. Although, absolutely, God says, how have you robbed me but in tithes and offerings? Obviously, God wants us to be givers. But that's not, we really don't focus on the money thing around here because it's important, but... But that's not the focus. We have to give of ourselves. And and it's not about saving. He he who seeks to save his life is going to what? Lose it. But he who loses or gives his life for my sake shall find it. God does not love a cheerful saver, but he loves a cheerful giver. It's part of sacrifice. Look at verse 20. By faith... Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. And, verse 21, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. The second sub-phase of sacrifice is blessing. If you want to be a person of faith, you've got to be a person of sacrifice. And if you want to be a person of sacrifice, you've got to be a person of blessing. What is the blessing that's being spoken of here? It's inheritance. The blessing is that it involves or it entails the assigning of an inheritance. It signifies that I am pouring out my portion and leaving it to the next generation. That's what blessing's about. It's not, oh, bless you, my son, go in peace. It is, this is my inheritance towards you. I am giving it to you, something that dad has said before and he hates it. I haven't seen it lately, but those big giant motorhomes drive down the road with the bumper sticker on the back. I'm spending my children's inheritance. Anybody ever see one of those? And dad always says, I hope they put you in a rest home and never visit you. Because blessing is about Saving my inheritance to distribute into my children. It's about pouring out and, and maybe holding back on some things that I would prefer or want in order to pour out for my children, in order to, to give to them. We do this on a, on a natural level, but understand this. It is a spiritual thing that you need to make some, some uh, separation in your life in order to reserve some things that you have to deliver to your children. There's some conduct they need to see. If you want them to have a godly inheritance, they need to see it from your life. I'm not going to go into all of it. Don't have time. We, we preached it through the years so many times. I, I don't have time to mention all of it. But there's conduct, and it's about the, the restriction of, of my thoughts and my desires in order that I can establish blessing is a part of faith. Blessing is important in faith. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Joseph did this. All of Joseph's brothers died in Egypt. But Joseph's dying request is, don't leave my bones in the land of death but bring me with you when you enter the land of promise. We find in in, uh, Exodus chapter 13 that Moses did exactly this. Joseph's sacrifice was that he was willing to endure the scorn of his brothers, live where he did not want, be ostracized, abused, sold, forgotten, and lied about. But he laid down the offense, he forgave the mistreatment, he looked past the abandonment and the misunderstanding in order to see that God would one day bring promise through His sacrifice. I don't even know if you've ever thought about all that Joseph had been through. For him to see his brother's Coming to him and not knowing who he is. And yet his heart was moved with compassion toward them. The same ones who had beaten him. Who had thrown him in a pit. Who had sold him into slavery. The result of which he was imprisoned. He was lied about. And he looks at them and he is moved with compassion for them. Because he understood that this was bigger than him. If you live for yourself and you can't be a giver and you can't be a blesser, then you'll never understand this, this thing that Joseph's doing. We get all offended about what somebody across the church does, but you're not worried about what's going on around you. Everybody around you in the world's a hypocrite, believe me. But there are bigger fish to fry. There are bigger things to take care of. There are more important things. And this is exactly what Joseph did. He laid down, his sacrifice was to lay down all of that offense, all of that mistreatment. And to say, you know what? The result of what you have done, you intended for evil, you intended, your your reasoning was wrong. It wasn't even an accident. You were trying to get rid of me. But yet God is going to turn it around. And he's going to use what he had said was going to happen. It's still going to happen. Joseph looked at the promise as generational. I refuse. I've been saying this. Pastor repeated it again today. I've been saying this. I refuse to believe that what we are doing is a one generation thing. I believe that God wants to build families. He wants faith to be generational. He wants it to be passed down to your children. He wants it to be handed down to your grandchildren. And what we are doing, we're going to have to put some things down. We're going to have to sacrifice in order to establish faith in our families. That's good, but we're not done. Verse 23, by faith Moses when he was born was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Moses' parents put an infant in an ark made of bulrushes into the Nile River full of crocodiles because they believed that the promise was more important than their own desires. I can't imagine that. How many have had children? Any of you going to put them in a river? In an ice boat? I mean, a really nice one. Just a yacht. Just going to send it out. and I mean, you don't have to worry about it sinking. No way. Never going to happen. I can't even... I, I, I'll keep the child hidden. Find some way. We'll send it off to some foreign country that... That we know somebody there and we'll go and get him later on. No, they put him in a river full of crocodiles and send him out there, knowing that there was something bigger going on here. Part of the bigger. Verse 24 By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he looked for the reward powerful Moses sacrificed his place of prominence because he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the palace greater than all that he had we know that he was he was second in command He was right there just just waiting to take over. Even though he was not an Egyptian by birth, yet yet Pharaoh had taken him in to be one of his own. But Moses looked around and he said, My brothers are more important to me than my pleasures. That's what it says. Verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so and were drowned. Moses used his leadership skills. He sacrificed his upbringing and his training in order to lead the children of Israel into the promise of God. Moses is just in the line. He's the next one up. He's the next one up that is going to be Standing in the gap. He's the next one up that's going to sacrifice. They're all sacrificing. You cannot be a person of faith without sacrifice. And Moses is just going to be the next one to sacrifice. He listens to God about killing a lamb and sprinkling the blood over the door because he believed God's word when God said, I'm going to kill the firstborn in the land and I'm going to get Israel out of Egypt. Egypt. I'm going to make it happen, and I need you to trust me in this, Moses. I need you to sacrifice something here in order for this to work. This isn't going to work without blood, it's not going to work without sacrifice. You to have to be willing to lay it down. And then I've thought about this, and this may not seem nearly as crazy as sacrificing a lamb and putting the blood over the door. But he steps out into the Red Sea believing that God's going to part it so they can walk across it. That doesn't even make any sense to me. I might be better with putting blood over the door because at least there's some kind of a sacrifice there. I have some kind of a maybe maybe some premonition about blood and letting and all that stuff. But I walk out into a sea and say God's going to make this dry land and we're going to walk across it. No, I don't. I don't even understand that kind of faith. You sacrificed. He sacrificed his, uh, his position of authority and probably was looked at, looked at quite a bit like we look at Joe Biden right now. Maybe a little crazy. Walk out into a river and expect it to part and it be dry. All of this, and I am closing, came at a great cost. And still, all of this sacrifice they still did not receive the promise. This book of Hebrews makes it clear in multiple places in this 11th chapter. It reiterates the point that they did not receive the promise. Because faith is not about getting. Faith is about giving why there's a big problem with all the faith that's being talked about in churches today everybody's talking about faith that gets you something faith that makes your life a little bit better faith that if i give ten dollars that god's going to give me hundred dollars said this so many times that's a ponzi scheme that's not faith it doesn't require faith to give something believing you're going to get something back hey look at this week with all the day traders how are they going with robin hood That worked out pretty good for everybody. We don't play the stock market with God. We don't give portions of ourselves in order that we can get bigger portions back. We don't give portions of our time that really aren't that valuable, that we've got some excess money and we kind of invest it here and there and believe that somehow I'm going to get a great return. It's a full investment, and faith is not about what I'm getting. Faith is about what I am giving. What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to lay down? It's what faith is about. Can we believe enough to sacrifice now to see our children and their children, should the Lord, Terry, receive some promises that maybe we don't receive? I was thinking about my grandpa, Stinson. Didn't really see too much of what happened here. Just the first little tiny, tiny bit. When dad started the church in the house and it was just us seven. Our family, grandma and grandpa Stinson. And grandpa made some investment into what was going on. Because he believed in something that was Bigger. He believed it was, it was important. And I think about that because I'm really good at, at giving when I know that it's going to have some impact. But can I give when I will never receive the promise myself? Do I have the foresight and the wisdom to understand that some of the things that I'm walking in right now, thank God for the leadership that has happened for 25 years in this place, that has laid some framework for me to walk on. Do I have the faith to do the same thing? Do I have the faith to believe for things that I myself may never see but will uphold and establish the future, should the Lord carry of my children's faith and my grandchildren's faith? I was thinking about this. I'm buying guns whenever I can afford them, for whatever that is. And the reason why is because I'm thinking there may be a time where guns are hard to purchase. I don't think we have to imagine too hard for that to happen. Like right now. But I'm hoping that what I'm buying right now, I kind of don't think this is a totally fleshly thing right here for a minute, but I don't think they're probably going to come in and confiscate weapons. That's going to be a tough one. There's like 300 million guns in America. It's going to be hard to say, turn them in. I don't think people are really going to do that. I don't think they're probably going to confiscate them. but I think there may come a time where you can't buy a new one. And so I'm thinking right now that what I'm, what I'm, purchasing there may be something that my grandchildren might be able to have. And I'm so willing to do that in the flesh. Right? So willing to do that in the flesh. Glad to do it. But am I willing to do that in the Spirit? Am I willing to make stands and sacrifices for things that will establish that I'm going to hand down that maybe I don't see, but are so vital to the faith. I was thinking about how important faith, the sacrifices of faith, how vital a portion of our life it is. It's the portion that we hold the most dear. It is the most difficult for us. To give up anything is hard. How many enjoy fasting? All the wrestlers can say no. We don't enjoy fasting. All the people who've been fasting on the counter, we don't enjoy sacrifice. We don't enjoy giving it up. And it's something that we just make up our mind, you know what, we're going to do it. I'm doing it, but I don't like it. Because sacrifice is never something we want to do. We always want more. We always want better. I want to eat more cake and not gain any weight. I want to do that. If part of sacrifice is eating cake, I'll do it. But I don't think it is. We don't love sacrifice. Sacrifice means something dear. We can't give something that doesn't cost us something. Remember, I, several months ago, I preached about David, and he said, I, when, he, when he was going to go to the threshing floor and make sacrifice to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel, and, and Arana said, no, 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 you can have the floor. And David says to him, listen, I will not give to God something that doesn't cost me. If it doesn't cost me, it's worthless to me. It's the pennies that now people drop on the ground and nobody's going to pick them up because who knows what they're covered in. And they're not worth it. We don't give to God pennies. We give to God something of of substance in our lives. And I I was thinking about how very difficult it is for us because it's so hard to separate in our our lives from spiritual and fleshly. The the Hebrews, the fourth chapter in the 12th verse makes mention of this. It says that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder soul and spirit because we have such a hard time differentiating between what I want to do, and what God wants me to do. So difficult. So the Word of God is there to dissect and and cut that that careful line. I was thinking about that with my mom. Every time I read that now, I think about uh, Dr. Berta in there with that tumor, and it was wrapped around that main artery, running from the front to the back, and he is just whittling that thing away. That's the Word of God. It's precise. It's able to touch us exactly where we need to be touched. It's able to produce faith in our life. It gives us sacrifice. So many pastors today are encouraging people that they don't need to sacrifice. So much salvation is offered today without any sacrifice. It is so detrimental to think that we can follow Jesus without laying anything down. It's empty and it's void. And the people who buy into that know it. They know it. So these last two thoughts really spoke to me. A religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has the power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. We know, you can fool me, you can fool your, your spouse, you can fool your children, or you could fool your mom and dad if you're a child, you could fool everybody around you, but we know in our heart if we are surrendered completely to God. And so, a faith that requires no sacrifice is void and empty and never produces the power sufficient For salvation. Because we know in our heart that we're not committed. Don't buy into a faith that doesn't require something. It's an empty and vain and void faith. The more that we are willing to sacrifice. The more that we are coming to the Lord and saying God here I am. I lay myself down before you. Lord here I am. Do with me what you want. Whatever your will for my life. The more that we do that. The more we can trust in that the more we know that God is pleased with us. Do you want to please God? I got one more thought. The confidence and the comfort of the Christian life is found only when we know. Let me tell you this, because you might not believe this from me. You might, Pastor Rodney, that doesn't mean anything. I found this, but I don't even know where it was. I wrote it down a long time ago. So somebody really important said this. Okay, so you can take it. What I just, these last two things. I know, because I don't mean anything. So, Somebody really important said this. The confidence and comfort of the Christian life is found only when we know that we have sacrificed everything to do His will. When we withhold the sacrifices of faith, we strip away our own confidence in God's promises. Isn't that it? If Abraham does not take Isaac to the altar, then Abraham's faith will be in Isaac. But because Abraham is willing to take Isaac and to lay him on the altar, Abraham's faith is in God. If we don't sacrifice, we strip from ourselves the belief in the promise of God. Lord, we want to receive from you tonight. Thankful for the word that was spoken today. I've heard so many people come up to me today and say, man, that really touched me. God really spoke to me. Lord, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that in my life. I want to receive your word. Every time I come into your house, Lord, I want to receive from you. God, and help me to understand your sacrifice more. Help me to grow Help me to become the man you want me to be and help me to walk in the faith that you want me to have. And Jesus, we're just here to give you all the glory and all the honor. It's due unto you. In your mighty name, and everybody say amen.